0: Welcome to another edition of Anglican Unscripted, episode 657. I'm Kevin Coulson.
1: I'm George Conger. Today's April 13th, 2021.
0: All right, welcome to another episode. We're glad you're here to watch us all the way through to the end before we get too far. It's best that I advise you now to like the program on Facebook or YouTube. If you have not subscribed yet, please subscribe. If you want to comment, please comment. Lots of comments last time on George's now infamous joke. And uh, subscribe, comment, 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 comment. Oh, and if you're sick and tired of looking at our faces, we have a podcast. You will find the link in the show notes so you can watch us, watch us, to listen to us on your iPhone or Android device george how you doing obviously i'm discombobulated and just uh not talking straight sentences i hope you can do better
1: well we've had excitement this week we had a lightning strike at church during the ten thirty service and it um there was an arcing of light between a flash of electricity between the uh, uh we have two down projectors on either side of the sanctuary that project downward the uh screens for the service words and and you could see light lightning shoot across from one to the other, and after the and all the power went out. And I finished. We finished the service uh, with the prayer books, and I went over to the par- to the office building. And all the power sur- all the fuses were tripped, and the power surge protectors were tripped, and set everything back up again. And found that um, all the office computers, the office photocopier, the sign that we have electronic sign outdoors. Uh, all were damaged or inoperative from the lightning. Um, So Church Insurance Company of Vermont, here we come with a major claim.
0: (laughs) Big claim. Now your church is pretty high up. You're uh, on the biggest hill in the
1: county there, right? We, no, Kevin, we are the highest church in Florida. We're the highest Episcopal church in Florida. I don't mean liturgically, I mean in elevation.
0: (laughs) Yes, of course, liturgically. (laughs) (laughs)
1: <laughs> so,
0: yeah, yeah, I mean, lightning strikes in churches happen often. Uh, you get the steeples, you get the spheres and stuff like that. I, I don't hear it so much in uh, 1960s, 70s contemporary architecture, but, uh, you know, one strike takes out a lot of electronics, and I certainly hope we can get you back on there. In fact, church lightning strikes are so common that it happened to myself. Back in the 1980s, when I thought I was on the, the priest track or the pastor track, I, I was in a non-liturgical church at the time, the uh, uh, pastor said, Kevin, would you like to give the uh, first service uh, Easter message for us? Sure. Said uh, 18-year-old Kevin, I would love to. And I wrote to- together, put a sermon together, and he helped me, and we we're doing it great. And uh, service started. I got up on the lectern. And about a good two minutes in, as I'm comparing two, what I thought, great points, lightning hit the church. A fire started. The fire department was called. That, friends, was my last sermon. (laughs) It was a sign that that probably wasn't my track. (sighs) No no kidding. All right, so, George, let's move on to the the news here. Uh, Not a lot. People are... Tired clergy like yourself from Easter, they're not getting into a lot of trouble, so we don't have a lot to report on. But I think the biggest story in Anglican.inc this week was nobody can agree, or at least the Orthodox and the rest of the world can't agree, when should Easter be? And I'm, je- I'm biased in this. I think from my reading of Scripture, it should be really close to Passover. You know, and I'm seeing that the Russian Orthodox don't want that, George. And I'm like, You know, if we can't agree on Easter, we're not a good witness to the world that we know what we're talking about.
1: Well, we could always just sort of pawn this off. Well, it's the Russians, of course. You say black, they say white. Um, Well, part of it is exactly that. uh, There's been a move within uh, the ecumenical movement to have an agreed date for Easter. The Orthodox have already gotten on board and are going to accept the Western date rather than the Julian, date. Mm -hmm. In other words, uh, we used a calendar uh, that was basically adopted by Julius Caesar and under Pope Gregory in the Middle Ages, we moved to a different calendar that was more accurate. So we use the Gregorian calendar today in the West, uh, basically all around the world. The Copts have agreed to come over and the ecumenical patriarch Bartholomew has uh, expressed interest of moving Easter to the uh, Western date well that's enough for the Russians to say we're not even going to talk about it because the Russians are at war both literally and figuratively with the Ukrainians and the ecumenical patriarch about the independence of the Ukrainian Orthodox Church. The Russians think it should be part of the Russian Church. The Ukrainians want it to be their own church and I'm not going to get into the rights or wrongs of that because that's something that uh, Is insolvable by Kevin and I, but in an interview Metropolitan Hilarion uh, said that uh, no this is not acceptable to the Russian Orthodox Church, no we're not talking about it, Uh, this is from God and we're not going to change uh, things according to the whims of man.
0: I always have to wonder you know uh putin he's been in power now for at least a century how much influence he has in all this does he call and say no we're not changing the calendar if putin said yes let's change the calendar would the russian church change the calendar should we be working yes. this through putin and not through uh the church
1: well one of the things the american media is so poor in general they don't do a good job of reporting they're more excited to talk about the more time is spent talking about baseball uh, whether or not it should be boycotted, than the fact that last week the Russian military went on full mobilization, mm-hmm. and the uh, Russian ICBM uh, fleet uh, of uh, has been put into field positions, ready for firing. Why? Well, You're this great. is well. Let me explain what full mobilization is. Mm-hmm. The army and all fronts, the northern fleet, have left their bases. They're at sea. The army have left their barracks. They are in the field. And this is as close as you this is the next this is code red a DEFCON 4 the Russian military is at DEFCON 4 to use American military uh, language and it's over the Ukraine because the fighting in the Donbass region has uh, sort of intensified and the Russians see uh, this is my editorial opinion the Russians see uh, Joe Biden is weak and now's the time to settle scores with the Ukrainians. Either retake the Ukraine for the Russian empire or install uh, somebody more favorable to Russia and the army is uh, on the march. And do we hear anything about this in the New York Times? Well, no, you'll hear an occasional uh, Associated Press piece or something, Or but instead we have the wokeness of the Chauvin trial and other things that have no real consequence to human history uh
0: this no, is French no, this absolutely could be right. August
1: I mean, this could be August 1914 yeah all well, over it.
0: they didn't they, they took uh Crimea uh, Cr- uh
1: Crimea Crimea okay, sorry. a few years ago yeah. a few years ago they took Crimea mm-hmm. now that was less of a uh, under Khrushchev uh Crimea was given taken from Russia to the Ukraine uh for political purposes after uh Stalin emptied the Crimea of mm-hmm. the uh Crimean Tartars, so and well we're getting into Stalinist history here, but yeah uh, this is a the Russian Orthodox Church under Kirill or Cyril, its current patriarch follows closely the, the, the uh, political orthodoxy of uh, Vladimir Putin. The Russian Orthodox Church has a theology of nuclear weapons where it is lawful and moral to have first strike nuclear attacks on mm-hmm. the enemies of Russia that's been published and stated uh, that you know there's been a you know Kirill has visited Venezuela several times, uh, he's visited Cuba, hardly hot spots of orthodoxy but they're there that's places that Russia can sort of create mischief in this hemisphere um, now there are many great wonderful aspects to the Russian Orthodox Church but at the same time there are some problems usually at the very top.
0: There are problems uh, you know and it's it's been that way for you know generations, eons, and you know it's not an official state church but, 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 they, but... they certainly you know uh, take the state line in so many aspects and their idea of just war is much different than uh, St. August's, you know, idea of just war.
1: Yeah, I mean, keep in mind that the prior uh, patriarch was uh, outed as a KGB informer, codenamed Sparrow. Huh? Um, so, you, the Orthodox Church that you have down your street is not the Orthodox Church they have in Russia, Nor is the Orthodox Church out in the countryside, uh, dealing with the regular people. I'm talking about the powers to be uh, at the Moscow Patriarchate are intricately tied. Because remember, these guys are all our age and much older. Mm -hmm. And they had their initial training in the Soviet era. And they were only really allowed to go get ahead if they towed the line, if they were complacent. Now, there's a new generation arising within Russian Orthodoxy that is not tied to the state as tightly, but they are not in a position of authority yet. There was a scandal a few years ago where the uh, patriarch was uh, photographed and he had a wristwatch that was identified as costing some $20,000. It was some Swiss gold thing or whatever. And there was a big stink because he was talking about poverty and how the church is at one with poor people. he's got a $20,000 watch. And so then the Russian news agencies airbrush the watch out, but the problem was the reflection of the watch was still in the polished table that uh, he was holding his hand over to sign a document. So, you know, that's that's the mindset at the top of the Russian Orthodox Church. Not universal, Mm -hmm. but at the same time there's some problems.
0: There's problems in church everywhere. Uh, We've talked many times about England, and uh, this is a great time for a transition. England, the Church of England, for all intents and purposes, I consider lost, okay? It's probably not going to be reformed, and there has to be other alternatives. One of the alternatives that's been put forward is, Kevin, you know there's the Free Church of England here. We would certainly uh, take on those who wanted to leave the Church of England into our folds and uh, grow that way. And the Free Church of England has made news this week because there's been a little controversy between the Bishop and his desire. And I don't know if there's a standing committee that helped this at all or not, but the Bishop closed down a church and that made news uh, around the world and we reported on it, George.
1: Well, it made news around the world because we reported on it. Uh, (laughs) That's one of the things that the Free Church of England is complaining about. There's a church, I think it's called St. Michael's Free Church of England in Middlesbrough, which is in the northeast of England, and Middlesbrough is sort of like Youngstown, Ohio, or Allentown, Pennsylvania. Um, you just don't see Middlesbrough when you're on your once-in-a-lifetime tour of England. No, it's no, grimy, in fact, if you arrived there,
0: you, you you were looking at the map upside down.
1: <laughs> yeah, it, it's it's not on, it's a it's the grimy northeast. It's mm. the uh, the rust belt of England. Well, uh, the uh, pastor there, a man named Jonas Bregatas. Uh Jonas is a Brazilian that Kevin and I met at the uh, uh, Third, Ga- Jerusalem Ga- conference at yeah. Gafcon. Young, excited, uh, evangelically moved from Brazil to the side of England. Something I wouldn't want to do, but nonetheless, he saw this as a missionary Passion. endeavor, and he had his church there, and the... Church of England Council has closed it and advised him that he's going to be losing his job and we see this in the Catholic Church all the time where the uh, you know the arch uh, Chance- Di- uh, Archdiocese and Chancellery makes a decision to amalgamate churches close this close that and use the money realized from the sale of assets to do to fund other ministries and we get people protesting uh, late parishioners protest. We had this same thing too and the parishioners contacted us and went on to social media Facebook and we released the statement and this was followed by a second st- uh, where they accused the National Church offices and of Bishop Fenwick of being it's spelled Fenwick but it's pronounced Nick. Kevin's interviewed him and I think you're I'm right in saying that Kevin yeah you are.
0: yeah in fact I'll put a, a link to the interview in the show notes
1: and the angeling, uh, tinkling of angels is interrupted by a flow of thought. I'm sorry. <laughs> That's all right. Well, we asked for a response. Then the Brazilian wing of the Free Church of England announced they were going into broken communi- communion with the uh, Free Church of England and John Fennec. They have a bishop, Joseph Rosello, I think his name is, mm-hmm. who's down there and they're building churches left and right and John Fennec responded to me this weekend uh, and I, I'm sorry, he's responded their time Monday, my time late Sunday, whatever, mm-hmm. and I posted their statement and on one level it's the same old story of a diocese trying to rationalize and consolidate its assets for more effective use, but at the same time the pushback is that this was done non-pastorally and it was done arbitrarily and so on and so forth and there's also a petition circulating among some free church of england clergy asking the bishop john fenwick to step down now part of this is the occasion for bringing this all up is the saint steve saint michael's flap which for those involved is a major crisis but it's something it's a crisis we've seen repeated in many denominations across the the United States. Uh, Bishop Spong of Newark was famous for shutting down churches and seizing their trust funds Mm. uh, to spend on uh, his latest fad. The uh, Free Church of England under Bishop Fenwick has taken a trajectory like the Reformed Episcopal Church. It's moving away its critics say from its Reformed Protestant traditions to a more Anglo-Catholic ethos. That's certainly true for the uh, Reformed Episcopal Church but it's also starting to be true for the, for the Free Church of England and that is causing a great deal of internal friction and whether or not it's true, I'm not in a position to say but the, that is an accusation which has been denied. So there are theological fights Within the Free Church of England that are piggybacking onto this uh pastoral dispute between a bishop and a, and a parish, and you can read in detail the accusations on Anglican England from either side. it's not particularly edifying, but it does show that uh, Satan is alive and at work and see uh, sowing dissension within the church absolutely
0: it's not just about Easter uh this is about keeping your diocese afloat you know it's one of the things we've seen you've and i've seen this many times in the last uh, 20 and 30 years and uh ian douglas from uh connecticut the bishop of connecticut is is retiring and connecticut is a great example of a once thriving episcopal diocese uh you know almost 200 churches at one time it's now just a, a skeleton of what it was because Wrong decisions were made theologically, and they weren't able to keep the churches full. And now there's just not much left of the diocese. And it, yeah, it, it, it's I, it's hard I to, did my
1: field placement at a church called Trinity St. Michael's, mm-hmm. and then uh, in uh, Bridgeport, uh, Bridge uh, Fairfield. Fairfield, yeah, it's right on the suburbs of Bridgeport. And then I was uh, Laurie Thompson's seminary assistant. Laurie's now the dean of Trinity Seminary. Uh, further down the road in, uh, is it Trumbull? I think Trumbull. Uh, I was there for those three churches, in those two churches for three years and at those time, each of those, ch- Lori's churches is very healthy, very strong, full on Sundays. Trinity St. Michael's much smaller church was still full on Sundays and th- I don't think that's true anymore. Uh, the, uh, the culture of New England has changed, it's become harder, stonier soil uh, but at the same time there's some independent churches that are just doing great and they would suck out people from uh, the Episcopal churches who were all sort of ex- alive and excited and wanted kids and the evangelical sure. excitement sure. they would go to these big in- independent churches and the Episcopal church responded by offering not Laurie Thompson uh, but the majority of Episcopal churches would respond by offering watered down New York Times editorials. Uh, I had a friend who was uh, a curate at, uh, I think it was Christ Church in Greenwich, the big giant church where George Bush was Yeah, that's, as a child that's, yeah. At that time there were like 2,000 people. I think they're like 450 now mm-hmm. and I think half of them are paid choir members. Uh, that's unkind um, the, Darien, Connecticut. Uh, St. Paul's
0: Darien is about you know is always on the verge of closing now. You know it, so much has changed in
1: in Connecticut. So Ian Douglas, I personally like as a person. Hmm? I think his theology and his politics are just dreadful. He, he's Very a happy, dreadful. proud socialist. Uh, let alone let's get into uh, discussion of uh, theology. Uh, he's a liberation theologian. He's, he's a your
0: human secularist. You know, he would be an orthodox human secularist,
1: but he's a lovely, decent guy, nice guy. he's a nice guy. Nice guy, yeah. but the problem is that hasn't prevented a uh, wholesale now. Maybe half the people in his churches have moved to Florida and now go to my church, and I don't know, <laughs> maybe but, I don't know. I'm in Florida, but the, but the fire of uh, yeah. the fire that kept the, the uh episcopal flame burning in connecticut uh is banking down very low right now that's a shame all right this
0: week we got an email from a viewer asking about enneagrams uh clearly he sees there's a danger and says kevin george is this something you see in the acna or the episcopal church and what are your thoughts on it And i wrote back right away it's a fad uh it's not a real good self-assessment tool And I've not seen it used widely in any way, shape, or form in the ACNA. And even when I was in the Episcopal Church, I don't remember it being used as a a way of self-assessment. However, other people have other experiences, I I am sure. And we'll hear from George in a minute and his experience. Is this the best way to find out about yourself? And I say, no, all these Briggs-Myers and all these uh, enneagrams don't really work well. And I know that because I had a wonderful teacher in high school and I don't remember if it was the sociality class or something like that where he said guys tomorrow uh you may not know this about me but I write horoscopes and I want everybody to give me your birthday give me your name and I'll write a horoscope for you and he showed up the next day true to form yellow piece of paper and he gave me my horoscope and I read it and by golly it was me and it, it, I, I was revealed in this thing. It told me what my future was going to be, at least for the next week. And it made a lot of sense. And then a couple of minutes later, he says, okay, I want you to take your horoscope and hand it to the person behind you. I said, oh, I don't know. I don't want them to know about me, but whatever. Handed it to the student behind me. And uh, the student in front of me gave me their horoscope. And it was the same thing. says, the horoscopes aren't real. They're just using your mind to read into you and you read into the, the the subject that's on the page and you adopt that as yourself. And that's how Enneagrams work and that's how uh, all these self-assessments is you're trying to figure out yourself by using human tools. And I don't think that works, George.
1: Uh, enagram is now a fad within some uh, some Episcopal churches I've seen it. There's some ac churches, there are a lot of, well, I don't want to say a lot, but there are some evangelical churches that have taken up this fad. It's sort of stepping into the place that the Myers-Briggs personality test once had. When I went through the uh, Commissional Ministry process 30 odd years ago, 30-35 years ago, I had to take a Myers-Briggs personality test and I came back uh, ENTJ or something, and it was thrown back to me that we have no other ENTJs in the uh, ordination process. There must be something wrong with you. And they were
0: right. Yeah, they were right.
1: But (laughs) but uh, the Myers Briggs personality test is sort is based on Jungian archetypes, Mm -hmm. and Jungian archetypes are are subjective and they're not scientifically testable. So they're They have the same validity, I believe, as these magazine things that my wife would read in Cosmopolitan when we were younger 12 steps to see if you have a healthy marriage, you know Does your husband snore in bed? Does he spend large sums of money on women on Saturday nights and not beside yourself? You know, things like Mm -hmm, that. Sure. Uh, The anagram, you may have seen its symbol and it has an institute out there that promotes it. It's a circle with nine numbers on the circumference. And there's a triangle within the circle that connects three of the numbers. And then there's a hexagonal shape, a regular shape that connects the other six. And it has a passing uh, uh, look of the pentacle that you see it, in satanic service.
0: It looks like a cultic. It's, it's
1: a little, but so it looks a little odd and a look, and the little red flags, but that's by association. Mm-hmm. and these, I'll read you the nine personality types and in essence what you do is you find yourself somewhere within this pentacle of your reformer, a I helper, I an achiever, an individualist, an investigator, a loyalist, the enthusiast, the challenger and the peacemaker and you can have primary and secondary characteristics and through their system of testing, you find where you are on this, and it sort of gives you a sense of, just like the Myers-Briggs test. Uh, people, you know, my ENTJ uh, would tell me that I'm a hard-charging executive with no, uh, uh, no second thoughts or whatever, and sure. s- stuff like that. Well, why? Why do I say this stuff? Why do I, Kevin and pe- I, warn it off? Well, where did it come from? The Enneagram Institute, which is a, you can find it on the website and you can get all the details you want about this uh, says that you know they can trace this way of thinking back to the Deathsert Fathers or the, or, the, or the Sufi Spiritualist or the Kabbalah, Jewish mysticism and it has other claims about where it came from well actually the first time that we can record it in history was in a Russian occultist named, uh, I'm sorry, and a, and a Greek-American occultist named George Godaya and his disciple P.D. Uspensky came up with the, the language and it was then taken by a fellow named Oscar Ichazo uh, and Oscar Ichazo said that while taking mescaline which is a narcotic, uh, Indian uh, Mexican uh, peyote the Archangel Metroton, I believe that's who it was, came to him and explained to him the meaning of the Enneagram. So Gurdjieff used it to uh, describe the cosmic orders of the universe and Ichazo used it uh, to describe human personality. Ichazo was an occultist. He believed in you know, seances and he was a pagan. One of his disciples was a psychiatrist named uh, Claudio Naranjo and Claudio Naranjo uh, promoted this way of thinking with the veneer of psychiatry and in the 70s it was taken up by some within the Catholic Church on the sort of the mystical contemplative side and there it resided for a number of years until it broke into Protestantism about 5-10 years ago And because it came out of Catholicism people thought well this must be like Casio which came out of Catholicism Sure, was a good thing Mm -hmm. and so there's some evangelicals and some members of the ACNA who really just love it because it's a simple classification tool that helps people understand who they are it's much more Myers-Briggs been around for so long and people have now figured out Myers-Briggs doesn't work and these people who support it within the church say it helps you find an awareness of yourself, self-understanding, self-actualization, self-realization. I say, my opinion is that some, that this is satanic. Now that doesn't mean it is satanic in the way that pornography is satanic, mm-hmm. or uh, Ouija boards are satanic. You can play the Ouija board game once when you're 14 years old at a party. You can read a dirty magazine once or twice, but if you make it a habit of it, it opens up your soul to the work of the devil. You become addicted to pornography. You basically addict yourselves to trying to connect with the spirit world. In Enneagram, you're allowing the spirit world of Claudio Ochauso and uh, George Gadayev. To direct your Christian life and witness and you can't use demons Because this is how it is described by its authors Now its supporters will say well, we've baptized it. We've Christianized it. We've taken out the demonology perhaps But I just say You know buy Cosmopolitan magazine and take the 12 steps to being a better housewife (laughs) rather than spend the money on enograms well, you it's said you, could,
0: you, you, you said you can read pornography once or twice i said you, you can be exposed to it and walk away from it without the addiction mm-hmm. um you know lots of kids uh end up in you know uh somebody's basement and somebody brings out the yeah, i remember back in the it must be 70s now somebody brought out a playboy and i walked away no big deal you know but there's so many people who you
1: just read the articles Kevin you didn't actually look I didn't
0: I didn't I wasn't there long enough to even know there were articles but it was it was sort of the joke through the high school and so you know you can be exposed to this and not go astray Um, but why expose yourself to something that's not really beneficial and uh, that's where I am on this you know is it really a good tool? I don't see. I don't see a purpose to it because my self-assessment comes through Scripture, my spiritual <laughs> assessment comes through Scripture, and uh, thankfully the, the Holy Spirit and thankfully uh, encouragement amongst other brothers and sisters in, Christ in worship. I don't get my identity from Enneagrams, Myers Briggs, or any other self-assessment, including my horoscope, which was so darn accurate, you know. Yeah. So.
1: Yeah. See, it's the modern phenomena of wanting shortcuts, mm-hmm. um, the path towards holiness, if you want to use a Wesleyan expression or climbing uh, Mount Carmel to take it from St. John of the Cross, are lifelong journeys towards union uh, with God in this lifetime and thinking that this is modern 20th 21st century America and that we can find something like the internet that will connect us immediately and give us the answer then we can go back to watching HGTV. Um, It doesn't work that way. Your faith life is a progressive accumulation of wisdom of successes and failures of basically stripping away your uh, brokenness and sinfulness and until you come to a place where you tend stand totally naked before God and even then you realize that you need His love, His blood to save you because you can't do it by yourself Mm -hmm. and then Enneagram is a form of the doctrine of works that by having these tools you can short-circuit the process of uh, sanctification so friends um You do it once, you do it twice, you do it as part of a work assessment, it's not going to be any big deal. But if you start thinking that this is the path that you can use to get closer to God, it is a path but it takes you farther from God, not closer to God. Just my like opinion.
0: pornography. Very good, George. <laughs> Way to bring it all around. Um, f- closing story, why is England going all crazy over the death of Prince Philip? and uh why is some people in the church making him almost saint-like and i somebody asked me this week and my response is he was such a long-term royal like the queen that most people in england that's all they know is you know prince philip there's no other royals there's no other queen for certain their whole life they know this i don't have any trouble if they go way over the top Uh, praising uh, uh, his spiritual life, his physical life, his royalness, his uh, affinity and love and tradition with Queen Mary, Queen Mary, Queen Elizabeth, Uh, it's fine. There's nothing wrong with that, because uh, it it would be like probably 100 years of Ronald Reagan in America. We would certainly be over the top with something like that. So I have no trouble with uh, uh, people going over the top with the death of Prince Philip, including the Church of England. Um, At least they have an opinion on something, George.
1: Well, I'd much rather have them- I'd much rather read stories about tributes from the bishops to the Church of England than plans to ensure that so much of a percentage of new clergy are minorities or women or Mm -hmm. people of you know, this or that or the other persuasion. Um, it's, a, it's a wonderful break from wokeness. It is. Now, using my amateur psychology skills, I would say that uh, Philip uh, stands in such contrast to his son Charles, who stands in such contrast to his son uh, Harry, that uh, you see sort of the decline of the species uh, father to son to grandson Uh, William may turn things around, he certainly seems to have a promising start, but you know this is the last, if you will, of the, in America we call them the greatest generation, the war Mm -hmm. generation, that that generation who uh, served and fought and you know did not have that narcissism, Uh, some of them did of course, but as a culture, uh, you know for instance my grandfather's youngest brother Peter just died uh, this past week, Peter Bunger, and Peter was 19, 18, 19 when he went ashore at D-Day on the second day with the Pennsylvania Division and fought across Europe and took part in the battle for the Hurtigan Forest and all this stuff and uh, you know he never really told stories about stuff like this other than to say that you know he went out got married, had a family, had a productive life and love this country and personified dignity, honor, courage in my little mind. Mm-hmm. And, in, and in Prince Philip's case, I think he, you know, served in the war. Uh, Gavin Ashenden, our uh, former partner on this show, his father served in the Royal Navy. They were shipmates uh, in the uh, North, Amer- North Atlantic convoys together. And Gavin's father would say that Philip really was a man's man. He was a mm-hmm. wonderful fellow.
0: Man's man who got married to Queen Elizabeth knowing that he would always be in her shadow. Wow. You know, nowadays men are supposed to be that progressive that they would always be in the shadow of their wives. Back then, that was not the the, the time-honored thing to do. So, uh, you know, three cheers to uh, Prince Philip. And uh, if uh, um, the church wants to go all gaga at this time for Prince Philip, I have no problem with it. He was a lifetime person who uh thanks (laughs) cat who at no point uh uh has any controversy that we're talking about in in his life you know he never let the queen down good for him george what a great show it went long and i have to do some edits because we had a cat uh going crazy in the background that you'll never hear about uh we had some phone calls that you probably will hear about but uh, that's just part of being in a live studio i'm kevin colson
1: I'm George Conger, and you've been watching episode 657 of Anglican Onscript.